Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is July 16th, 2018, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is Nexus 2, Validation of the Pediatric Head CT Decision Instrument. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Corey Heinz. Corey is an emergency physician in Roanoke, Virginia. He's also the CME editor for Academic Emergency Medicine. Corey, you having a great summer? I am, Ken. It's getting pretty hot here in the southeast U.S., as July tends to be, but we are actually having a pretty nice cool mornings, which keeps it bearable. I've gotten to take the kids camping, go to the beach, bought a couple paddle boards, and gotten out on the water a few times. How about you? I actually joined Instagram last month, and I've been able to follow all of your adventures and the great pictures you've been posting with your family. <laughs> it, it's quite a bit. Like, how old are your children? Seven and three? That's camping. That's pretty good. It was a, it was an experience. We only did one night, but they did pretty well. Ooh, overnight. I was a camp doctor for 10 years. I volunteered to do that, and I had an absolute blast. So if there's any SGMers out there that are listening, that love camping, or are thinking about being a camp doctor, send me an email. Happy to talk to you about it. But Corey, give us a case. All right, Ken. Well, you're working in a small rural emergency department when a seven-year-old girl comes in by EMS with a head injury. Her father was teaching her how to bike, as this sounds familiar, and he got a little ambitious and sent her down a small hill. She hit a rock, went over the bars, striking her head on a small tree as she fell. She was helmeted. She did not lose consciousness, has not been vomiting, but the helmet was scratched up a little bit where it struck the tree. It's been one hour since the accident, and the child's exam is otherwise normal. She's behaving normally and only has a minor headache and some scrapes on her knees. Dad, on the other hand, may need something for anxiety because mom isn't home from work yet. <laughs> We're feeding into some of the stereotypes. We're breaking some other stereotypes down. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was teaching my kids how to ride a bike, I might have been a little bit more ambitious. And actually, by the way, mom was usually off at work at the time. <laughs> All right. Well, blunt head trauma is a common presenting complaint in the emergency department, accounting for approximately 2 million visits per year in the U.S., CT imaging is often performed, but comes with radiation risk and increased medical costs. Several decision instruments have been developed to assess the risk of significant intracranial injury in children with head trauma, such as Ketch, Chalice, and PCARN. The PCARN tool has been found to have a very high sensitivity, but in one study was shown to increase CT use compared to physician judgment. I love it when they come up with these acronyms like CATCH, you know, that we're going to try to catch the right child that we need to do the CT in. And that was the Canadian study. But isn't it interesting? What was the British study? The chalice. Oh, that was really well done, too. Anyways, we covered concussions on SGM 112, and this episode included the pediatric head CT decision guide for children who were less than two years of age and children who were two years of age and older. So the Nexus head CT decision instrument was developed as a one-way instrument, which would hopefully serve to rule out those children who might otherwise receive imaging as opposed to classifying some as high risk and others as low risk. In the original cohort, the use of the Nexus head CT decision instrument decreased the need for CT by 25%. Give us the clinical question we're going to try to answer today. In pediatric patients with blunt head trauma, can the Nexus head CT decision instrument be used to rule out the need for imaging in patients who otherwise would have received CT imaging? And what's the reference? Gupta et al., Validation of the Pediatric Nexus II Head Computed Tomography Decision Instrument for Selective Imaging of Pediatric Patients with Blunt Head Trauma, 
Academic Emergency Medicine, July of 2018. Oh, yes. It is hot off the press. So let's go through the PICO. What was the population? These were patients less than 18 years old with blunt head trauma who underwent CT imaging at one of four participating hospitals. And the intervention? Clinical judgment followed by the application of the pediatric nexus to head CT decision instrument. And there was no comparison group. So let's run through the outcomes. What was the primary outcome? The primary outcomes were the sensitivity, specificity, and negative predictive value for the need for neurologic intervention defined as death due to head injury, need for craniotomy, elevation of skull fracture, intubation related to head injury, or intracranial pressure monitoring within seven days of head injury. And how about the secondary outcome? Clinically significant head injury on CT imaging. And I've added an S to the PICO, so it's a PICOs, and the S stands for study design. And this was a pre-planned secondary analysis of the decision instrument. But this is a summer hot off the press, and we're pleased to have one of the authors on the episode. Dr. William Maurer is a professor in residence at the UCLA School of Medicine in Los Angeles, and among other things, and that's really underselling it, among other things. He sent us his CV. It needed to be sent electronically. I would not want to have received this by fax. Oh, by the way, listeners, a fax machine was something that spit out paper, you know, from, never mind. Anyways, it was really a big, long, impressive CV. He's also the director of UCLA Emergency Medicine Research Assistant Program. Welcome to the SGM, Bill. Oh, welcome. Pleased to be here. So, Bill, obviously you've got a, a diverse CV with a lot of interests. And what got you interested in validating the Pediatric Nexus 2 instrument initially? So we originally developed the Nexus Network to conduct rigorous development of decision instruments, and particularly to guide cervical spine radiography was our initial project. In developing that project, we recognized that the methods and approach we used could also be used to develop uh, decision instruments for other imaging decisions, and head CT imaging was an obvious next choice. Uh, this led to the derivation and validation of the Nexus head CT decision instrument, which took us a long time to do because we needed high precision in our results. And then we intended to use the Nexus head CT instrument as an application to all ages, and our specific focus on the pediatric population was designed to assess performance in this subpopulation and ensure that the tool retained acceptable performance among pediatric patients. Well, since we're going to be discussing this instrument, can you explain the pediatric Nexus 2 head CT decision instrument? So the way the pediatric... Uh, decision instrument works, it looks only at patients that have already been selected for imaging. So this is a tool that is not applied to all children with blunt head injury, but only those that the clinician is concerned enough to select for uh, tomographic head imaging. Uh, it classifies patients as either low risk or high risk based on clinical characteristics, and patients are classified as low risk and potentially not requiring CT if they meet seven criteria. And those seven criteria, are they have to have no evidence of skull fracture. They have to have no scalp hematomas. They have to have no neurologic deficits. They have to have a normal level of alertness and normal behavior. They cannot have persistent vomiting, and they cannot have any coagulopathy. If patients um, cannot be assessed for these criteria, either because they're, you're unable to get information on the criteria or they're unstable and you can't assess the criteria, you don't have time to assess the criteria, they're categorized as being high risk. So they must meet all low-risk criteria to meet low-risk classification. If they, any criterion is uh, absent or if they're unable to assess it, the children are automatically uh, ranked as high risk. 
So if you have one of those seven things, then one or more are positive or you're unable to assess them, then the patient does require a CT. That's what we recommend, yes. Excellent, Bill. Thank you. Now, can you give us your conclusions from the paper? The pediatric nexus head CT decision instrument reliably identifies blunt trauma patients who require head CT imaging, and the rule could, could significantly reduce the use of CT imaging among this population. Okay, you sit back, Bill, because you know what? We're going to have 10 nerdy questions, double my favorite number. So Corey and I are going to run through the quality checklist, do the key results, and then we're going to come back to you and ask you 10 nerdy questions. Corey, let's go through that quality checklist for clinical decision tools. First question, the study population, did it include or focus on those in the emergency department? Yes, it did, Ken. The patients were representative of those with the problem? Yes. Were all important predictor variables and outcomes, were they explicitly specified? Yes. And is this a prospective multi-center study, including a broad spectrum of patients and clinicians, a level two study? Yes, it was. The fifth question, clinicians interpreted individual predictive variables and scored the clinical decision rule reliably and accurately. I'm going to go with unsure on this one, Ken. Is this an impact analysis? No, it's not. And so it's not a level one study of an impact analysis. So the seventh question doesn't apply. The eighth question, the follow-up, was it significantly long and complete? Uh, unsure, Ken. And the ninth and final question, the effect size, was it large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? Yes, it was. All right, let's run through those key results. The original Nexus CT head validation observational study had close to 8,000 patients with blunt head injuries. Now, there were just over 1,000 patients that were less than 18 years of age who received head CT scans. And this cohort included 27 patients, or 2.7%, who required neurologic intervention. And 49 patients, or 4.8%, had significant intracranial injuries. Corey, what was the key result? All 27 patients requiring neurosurgical intervention were identified by the Pediatric Nexus II Head CT Decision Instrument. And so let's drill down because that's the primary outcome and that was the need for neurosurgical intervention. What was the sensitivity? Sensitivity was 100%. 27 of 27 patients were identified. And how about the specificity? 33%. 330 patients of 991 who did not require intervention were classified as low risk by the Pediatric Nexus II Head CT Decision Instrument. And what about the negative predictive value? 100%. None of the 991 low-risk patients required neurosurgical intervention. All right, let's get into the secondary outcome, and that was the clinical significant head injury. What was the sensitivity for that? For this outcome, it was 98%. 48 of 49 patients with significant injury were identified by the decision instrument. And how about the specificity, the true negatives? 34%. 329 of 969 who didn't have significant injury were classified as low risk. And the negative predictive value? 99.7%. 329 of 330 low risk patients were absent of clinically significant head injury. All right, time to bring Bill back into this. It's time to talk nerdy to me. And we have, like I said, two sets of five. So 10 questions. I'm going to kick it off with the first one. And Bill, this was a secondary analysis. Now, it was a pre-planned secondary analysis of the Nexus Head CT Decision Instrument. 
Do you think the fact that it was a secondary analysis weakens or limits the conclusions of your study? No, I think our specific focus on the pediatric population was designed to assess the performance of the Nexus tool in this population and ensure that the Nexus head CT tool retained acceptable performance in this sub-cohort. We wanted to be sure that if there were performance flaws in the instrument, they were not concentrated among the pediatric population. We also wanted to independently assess the ability of the rule to limit imaging in this population, since children are at greatest risk of sustaining lethal malignant transformation as a consequence of CT imaging. Second question is about the power. The original Nexus head CT observational study was powered to have 368 patients with injuries requiring neurosurgical intervention. It was not powered for the subgroup of pediatric patients reported in this study. There were only 27 pediatric patients who required intervention in the cohort. Can you comment on the power of your study to detect the primary outcome of need for neurosurgical intervention? The power question really relates to the overall design of the Nexus project. And our goal in the Nexus project was to um, find out how well the decision instrument had to be to represent a favorable trade-off between problems that could occur from increased imaging versus the problems that occur by limited imaging. Of course, the problem by limited imaging is you could miss important injuries and have catastrophic outcomes among unimaged patients. Uh, the consequence of overimaging is you expose patients to ionizing radiation and malignant transformation. Um, so there's a balance point between those two, and that balance point um, arises at a sensitivity of approximately 99%. So if you have a rule that you can demonstrate has a sensitivity of greater than 99%, you have a rule that shows a favorable balance between the, the trade-offs of the two types of uh, misses. So that was our goal in the Nexus head CT, was to validate the performance of this rule with extremely high precision and ensure that the rule had a sensitivity greater than 99% for detecting um, neurosurgically important injuries. So you're going for a Goldilocks zone, a balance, a trade-off between not imaging too many people and not imaging enough. In other words, missing some, which could be very serious injuries, but not just irradiating every child who had a blunt injury. That's correct. All right, well, let's talk about spectrum bias and verification bias. You mentioned this in your discussion. The original study did not enroll patients that did not have a CT scan performed. This can introduce spectrum bias and verification bias. How did you address this issue? So we recognize the potential for spectrum bias and verification bias, and we specifically examined a large number of patients who did not undergo imaging our intent was in to ensure that the rate of injuries among this population was less than 1%. And to achieve this, we conducted three-month follow-up evaluations on patients who did not receive imaging during their initial visits, and we ascertained whether they were later found to have injuries. We found no injuries among the 368 patients enrolled in this cohort, including 118 children. We also conducted follow-up studies on uh, morbidity and mortality logs, trauma logs, looking for cases of missed injuries and found no, injury, no missed injuries among these cohorts. Excellent. So the fourth question we had was about the exclusions. You state that clinically significant intracranial injury excluded some intracranial hemorrhage, some skull fractures, and isolated pneumocephaly. In my experience, it's standard practice that if these injuries are found on CT, the vast majority of these patients are admitted to the hospital. Was any data kept as to how many patients had one of these non-significant injuries, either in the CT cohort or the verification bias cohort? So there's a couple of concepts that are important in terms of our selecting this. First, our main goal was to be maintain consistency with the general literature in this area. And this is a definition that is used throughout the literature in this area. So it helps us maintain consistency with other studies. 
Uh, it's also possible that while some of the patients with these very, very small injuries may have been admitted, it's unclear that these admissions actually produce favorable outcomes. They really don't receive a lot of benefit from their hospitalizations. And then the third point is that at this level of outcome, we're starting to encroach on the reliability of CT. This is where we get into the idea of the radiologist calls you and says, well, there may be a petechial hemorrhage in this patient. There may be a smear subdural. Uh, we don't know if there's actually an injury or not. The CT can't clarify this for it. So we get too deep into these patients. We're having trouble determining actually when the CT is positive versus when it, we just see uh, artifacts on the CT. So it's actually a fairly good endpoint, um, particularly since it doesn't involve um, large clinical intervention associated with it. And sure, that that makes perfect sense. I you know because you see a lot of these, like you said, CTs that may be small subdural, may be small subarachnoid, and they also may not be. As Ken always says, whenever you say maybe, you also have to say may not. All right, let's talk about interradial reliability. Clinical decision tools rely heavily on the ability of the individual components to be evaluated consistently by different clinicians. Can you tell us how consistent and accurate clinicians are at assessing the components of the pediatric Nexus II head CT decision instrument? Yeah, we conducted our inter-rater assessment in the, as part of our derivation study. And we looked at the uh, both the ability to assess individual criteria as well as the combined criteria at that point. Uh, we wanted to do this before we embarked on the long uh, validation study because if we did, couldn't find reliable criteria there, we wanted to know it about it early rather than after we had spent a huge amount of resource late in the study. Um, we don't have an ability to assess truth on these things. So we can only assess, is, does a patient have a normal exam based on what two physicians say? So. There's no, there's no golden standard for most of these outcomes. So what we did was we conducted iterator assessments to see how well the clinicians could uh, identify individual components of the instrument as well as the combined components. This was done very, very early in the derivation phase of the project, and we found that there were many criteria that could not be assessed with high iterator reliability, and we excluded those criteria right from the get-go. Um, so the criteria we included in the final study all had substantial agreement on clinical assessment, and later on in the study when we looked at the combined criteria, we found they also had substantial agreement in the overall classification of individual patients. So uh, number six, there was one miss. So there was one patient with significant injury who was misclassified. Can you talk about that patient a little? Is this a case where inconsistency in assessing criteria might have played a role? Yeah, the one misclassified patient uh, with a significant injury was a 10-year-old helmeted female riding a bicycle who was hit by a motor vehicle at an unknown speed with a questionable loss of consciousness. In the ED, she complained of mild headache and had a normal physical examination except for a small cheek abrasion. The CT demonstrated a comminuted right temporal parietal skull fracture with a small associated pneumocephalus and a small subdural blood. The patient was admitted for observation for two days without need for any acute intervention and was discharged without sequelae at six and 12 week follow-up visits. So the question of you know, why was this patient missed is difficult to ascertain. It may be that there were uh, problems in assessing the uh, criteria and there was an error and inconsistency in application of the rule, possibly a cause. Uh, but regardless of the cause, it's important to keep in mind that the instrument was not designed to be perfect. The instrument was designed to represent a trade-off between uh, problems associated with missed injuries, as in this case, and problems that arise from excessive imaging by exposing large numbers of children to uh, ionizing radiation. Yeah, it's about that uh, zero-miss culture, and to get to zero misses, 
you're going to cause a lot of damage in the path of trying to get to zero. But let's talk about confidence intervals. The 95% confidence interval around the point estimate gives the precision of the result. And your 95% confidence interval around your primary outcome, the need for neurosurgical intervention, was wide. It went from 87% to 100%. And this lack of precision and that lower boundary of 87% is a concern given the serious patient-oriented outcome. What do you think the SGMers should do with this data? I think there's two aspects to keep in mind. First is our decision instrument was designed to provide clinicians with a single tool they could use for all patients, including pediatric patients. From this perspective, our tool has already been uh, validated with very high precision and a lower confidence interval of 99.1%. So that was our main focus of the Nexus tool. Um, even if you focus on the pediatric cohort, the lower confidence limit for sensitivity in detecting neurosurgically important injuries is 87.2 and 89.1% in detecting clinically important injuries. You can compare this to other rules. For example, of the 95% lower confidence interval for the PCARN rule for detecting uh, injuries is 89%. So we're not too far off from the PCARN rule. Patients greater than two years of age and 86.3% for children less than two. So if physicians are willing to accept the lower limits of the PCARN rule and the uh, precision of the PCARN rule, they probably won't have too much problem accepting the precision of the Nexus rule. Okay. Uh, do you think the seven-day follow-up period was long enough to capture all of the possible significant injuries? Um, the seven-day follow-up was, was intended to uh, capture interventions related to head injury rather than the injuries themselves. In regards to uh, the follow-up of image patients, the actual follow-up is very, very brief and extends basically through the period they receive their CT imaging and the determinant of whether this imaging showed injury. And that's because if the CT was interpreted as negative, it doesn't matter how you determine whether or not they needed CT imaging, the CT imaging is not going to be useful even if they had an injury. So the real true follow-up of the study is what was the CT imaging, what was the status of the patient at the time of the CT imaging, a um, very, very brief period. Thank you for that clarification. Well, I left my fifth question to the end because it was one of the really important questions I wanted to emphasize. And this is about the one-way tool. Nexus is a one-way clinical decision instrument. Can you discuss this concept of a one-way tool and how Nexus is different from the PCARN in that regard? Yes, this gets into a very important aspect of decision instruments in general and involves some arguments that are a little bit non-intuitive. And that is physicians often view the use of a decision instrument as a dichotomous instrument that provides a yes, no, when they're really asking two questions. The first question is, does a patient need imaging? And the second question is, does a patient not need imaging? And those are not exclusive and um, mutually exclusive uh, questions and answers. So the question of you know, who needs imaging, it turns out the clinicians are already very good at ascertaining which children need imaging. There's been several large studies of children with head injury looking at injuries amongst these, these children, over 60,000 patients, and they clearly demonstrate that 
clinicians have very high sensitivity in selecting children for imaging. Clinicians are very good at getting imaging for children who have brain injuries and need neurosurgical intervention or show injuries on their CT scan. So we really don't need a decision instrument to help us identify children who need imaging. We're not seeing a lot of a cold injuries in these children, children that look good and end up having bad things. What's really happening is Physicians are ordering the imaging, but they're also imaging a lot of kids who don't have injuries. So they're getting a lot of unnecessary CT scans that aren't beneficial to these kids and exposing a lot of kids to unnecessary radiation. So what we really could benefit from is a decision instrument that says amongst children who we select for imaging, is there a cohort of these that could be safely omitted from imaging and we can safely spare them the radiation exposure and the risks and costs associated with imaging? So that's what a one-sided rule does. It doesn't tell us what kids to image. It focuses on saying, you decide which kids you think need imaging, and we'll help you decide amongst that cohort some of them who really don't need imaging and won't benefit from the imaging. And that's what the Nexus rule does. This is consistent with the, the other prior Nexus rules, the Nexus C-spine rule, the Nexus head CT rule for the general population, is they're designed to focus on the cohort that has been selected from imaging and say from amongst this cohort, what are the patients we can safely exclude from imaging because they're going to get a low-risk classification and they won't have injury. I think that's a fantastic point to make, and I'm really glad that you were able to summarize it like that. So my final question is a softball. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the SGMers about your study? I just would, would recommend they read the Nexus study, give it consideration. It is uh, besides the C-spine study, it is the only trauma imaging study that has actually been validated with the precision needed um, to justify clinical use. There are lots of other decision rules out there. You mentioned the catch and chalice and uh, PCARN for head injuries. There's other rules for, you know, audible rules for head injury. None of these rules have been validated with the precision needed. They've been criticized for not having the precision, but they've not yet been validated with precision needed to really justify uh, general clinical application. So. I would just suggest clinicians be aware of that, making their, their choice of decision instruments. Well, I'm happy to highlight this part of the podcast and forward it to Ian Steele for his comments <laughs> and feedback. <laughs> oh, Ian. All right. Well, it's time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions. Can we agree with the author's conclusions? And how about a bottom line then? The pediatric Nexus 2 head CT decision instrument can reliably categorize patients as low risk and may reduce CT imaging in these patients. And can you resolve the case you presented of that maybe overambitious father teaching his daughter how to ride a bicycle? In your patient, all of the low risk features are present. You discuss with the father that in your clinical judgment, you do not feel a head CT is indicated and discuss observation precautions and symptoms to look for. Dad seems relieved. Clinical application then? A properly powered study with tighter confidence intervals around the point estimate for the patient-oriented outcome of need for neurosurgical intervention is desirable before the pediatric Nexus 2 head CT decision instrument is widely adopted. So what are you going to tell the patient? I tell the, the patient and her father that imaging isn't indicated given the extremely low risk of significant injury. I commend the patient for wearing a helmet and instruct the father that any time a helmet is involved in an accident, the recommendation is to replace it. All right, it's time for the Keener Contest, and last week's winner was Liam Port, a medical student from Stirling, Ontario. And actually, I got the pleasure of working with Liam just a couple of days ago, and I have to say, he was Stirling. He knew that it was in 1957, a French physician 
Dr. Paul Noger created an ear acupuncture map. Corey, what's the question this week? Well, it's interesting that you talk about ear acupuncture and then the next thing has to do with Star Trek because I just keep going back to Khan. Oh, oh, the scene where they put that... The, bug, uh, the ear bug oh, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so the keener question this week, Ken, is in the movie Star Trek Generations, Captain Kirk is trapped in the Nexus. He he escapes with Captain Picard to save the Enterprise, but is killed in the process. What were his final words? Well, if you know the answer to this keener question, then send an email to thesgem at gmail.com with keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. Now, this reminds me, are you more of a Star Wars or a Star Trek guy? Because I'll commit, I'm more of a Star Trek guy. I'm not sure I'm ready to commit. I grew up on Star Trek The Next Generation, um, all of middle school and high school and all of that. But I've seen every Star Wars in the theater, um, a couple of them multiple times. So I'm not sure I'm ready to commit. Sounds like a Twitter poll. Bill, would you commit Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, no question. Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> oh, I have and always shall be your friend. The needs of the mini outweigh the needs. Of, oh, I could go on and on. Okay. How about just give me the SGM hop? What are we going to do with this SGM hop? All right. Now it's your turn, SGMers. What do you think of this episode? Tweet your comments using hashtag SGM hop. What questions do you have for Dr. Mower and his team about getting head CTs in pediatric patients with blunt head trauma? Ask them on the SGM blog. The best social media feedback will be published in Academic Emergency Medicine. Don't forget, those of you who are subscribers to Academic Emergency Medicine can head over to the AEM homepage to get CME credit for this podcast and article. We will put the process on the SGEM blog. Well, enjoy the rest of the summer, Corey, because you know I'm going to be following you on Instagram. Oh, well, I would keep your eyes peeled for the week of August 6th through 15th or thereabouts, depending on how my cell service is in. You'll see. Oh, you're going to leave us hanging. It's like a cliffhanger. It's almost like a Netflix show where every single episode has to be like, <gasps> okay, I got to watch another one. But at least on Netflix, you can just keep watching. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And stay up and I've got to work the next morning. All right. Well, thank you, Bill, for coming on the SGEM and telling us about the Pediatric Nexus 2 Head CT Validation Study. Well, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Well, you get one more thing to do, and that's you get to read the SGEM tagline. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time. 